ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Garfinkel of Project 613 here in Chicago with another exciting, exciting edition of Money Motivation. All right, we have a ton of great things happening. All right, Project 13 is on a roll. We are on a high still from our trip from Morocco and Gibraltar. Truly, truly spectacular journey. And we are back now downtown Tuesday, January 17th. Yes, Tuesday, January 17th, with a very exciting holiday because a kickoff, a little social event, should be a lot of fun. And then beginning our When Real Life Begins series. Yes, where Judaism and life intersect. Very fascinating series of different topics. Great guest speakers coming out. So um, everything from life cycle events to industrial Kashrus, how does how how in the world do you, you know, is it just a rabbi blessing the food, everything from life cycle events? Uh, it should be a fascinating, fascinating series, and we cannot wait for all the young professionals to come out. So, if you are a young professional, let's do this, and if you know one, you should nudge them to come, because we all need Jewish moms to nudge us to do the right thing. All right, here we go, and. We have an absolutely fascinating podcast today for you, and it is based on this last week's Torah portion, and it touches on the very essence of what it means to be human. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. It says in the last week's Torah portion, Torah portion of Shmos, of Exodus, we're beginning the book of Exodus. It is crazy. We've finished the entire book of Genesis. We started after Sukkot and Simchas Torah. We started reading the Torah from the very beginning and have finished the first book of Genesis of Bereshit. All right. And we begin the book of Exodus of Shemos, talking about the transition now from the Jewish family, Jacob's family, to becoming the Jewish nation. The Jewish people, okay? And that happens through the fiery furnace of the slavery in Egypt. Oh, Rabbi, what a bad things happen to good people. Okay, we don't have the full answer, but we have many, many answers that sometimes difficult experiences forge us like metal in a very hot temperature, cleaning out the dross, all of the extra impurities to forge us into a mighty sword and that's the analogy the rabbis give that we had to go through this experience in Egypt. Okay, and we're going to drill down on that uh, because um, really it doesn't make any logical sense. And we'll begin with a verse in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, And a new king arose over Egypt. He did not know Joseph. He didn't know he didn't know Joseph. Oh wow. Well, well lucky do. He didn't know Joseph. <laughs> Why do we need that information? And what does it mean that he's a new king? So was there a takeover? Was what what happened over here? Okay, so let's describe 
of the background over here. At the very end of Genesis, of, of Beratius, we have Yosef, the story of Yosef and his brothers. What people don't really uh, drill down on is what did Yosef do when he was viceroy, when he was basically, for all intents and purposes, if not the CEO of Egypt, but the COO of Egypt. He was making things happen, the chief operating officer of Egypt. He basically knew through prophecy that there were going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And he suggested to Pharaoh, Paro, um, let's just say Paro. Okay, can we do that? Can we say Paro? That's the Hebrew, right? If I say Pharaoh, okay, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, so Paro. And he suggests to Paro, we got seven years of plenty and we have to have the people on a strict diet and rations so that we will be able to save tons and tons and tons of grain so that when the entire known civilized world will come to us in the seven years of famine that we will be able to provide that sustenance for not only Egypt but the entire world and that's exactly what happened and Yosef set up and established major storehouses throughout all of Egypt and based on this prophecy. And two, by the end of two years into the famine, after the seven years of plenty, Yosef had acquired every single ounce of, ounce, inch of land, of, of property, every animal, and even the people were so poor and so destitute for any food that Yosef basically acquired all of the means of production and the people of Egypt and beyond to be the personal property of Pharaoh. Okay, up until then, Pharaoh was just a dictator and a ruler, but he didn't necessarily own everything. Now, there was a 10, you know, the 10% tithe, quote unquote, the uh, priestly class, the Egyptian priestly class. It, very interestingly enough, the Egyptians um, recognized that there needed to be a priestly class, and they were not included in this, and they had still had private ownership. But aside from the Egyptian priests who were doing all that mummy stuff, right, the, everything Joseph, Joseph was able to put under the direct ownership of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was richer than any of these oil princes in whatever um you know, uh, oil-rich Middle Eastern country you could pick. Pharaoh owned personally the entire ancient world. It's not just that he controlled it. So that is unbelievable. And he owed it all to one person, one person only. And that person was Yosef. Yosef was the one who interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Yosef was the one that came up with a plan based on those dreams. And therefore... Pharaoh knew that Yosef was the one to whom he owed all of his gratitude. He literally became the richest and most powerful person in the world by far because of Yosef. And so now we return to our verse, and maybe some of you are anticipating what's going to happen over here. And it says, A new king arose over Egypt, Asher lo yadas Yosef, who did not know Yosef. He didn't know Yosef, really? So Rashi brings a 
Talmudic dispute between Rav and Shmuel, two of the greatest Amarayim, two of the greatest Talmudic sages who lived in Babylon. Oh, about, I don't know, 1700 years ago, something like that. Rav was Talmud Pog, maybe 17 and a half, <laughs> almost 1800 years ago. Okay, in Babylon. Okay, and it says Chadamar Chadash Mamash. One of them. There's a, a technique often in the Talmud. You'll have two opinions, and it's brought down in a tradition that it was one or the other one. They weren't sure which one it was, but they attribute it to one or the other. So Chadamar one says Chadash Mamash. One says that it was a brand new king for sure, totally new person. Okay, and that would explain why this new king went on and started the oppression. Okay, so that's a, an understandable explanation. There was a new king. He didn't know Yosef. He Not only did he not know Yosef, he did not recognize all the goodness he did for the, the past Pharaoh. That was the previous administration. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, he, he was, uh, he was for the blue party and I'm the red party or, uh, he was for the red party and I'm the blue party, whatever it was. Okay. You could, you could see a politician sweeping the greatness of Yosef under the rug. But the other opinion, but the other opinion says, that he wasn't a new king at all. It was the same king. It's just that he renewed evil decrees against the Jewish people. And according to this opinion, it was the same Pharaoh, the same Pharaoh who benefited the most from Yosef, who became enriched, who became empowered, who became literally the most important and most powerful person on planet Earth because of Yosef and only because of Yosef. And that very king turned his back on Yosef. Asher lo yada Yosef. He did not know Yosef. Okay, so we're going to give a little bit of the background over here. So basically what happened was, uh, the Jew, the the Egyptian people were getting all freaked out. These Jewish people, they're exploding like mice all over the place. They're swarming. They're teeming. They are all over the place, and they're going to take over a country. We must do something about it. And um, Pharaoh's like, "What are you talking about? Like, like Yosef's people? Yo he, he 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 was the one that brought wealth not only to me but all of Egypt. How could we betray?" Joseph and and his people, and and Paro initially stood strong, and then the people, the advisors, and the people had a coup, and they demoted. They actually, this is all according to the midrash, they threw Pharaoh out of office for three months. After three months, Paro could not handle being a past, a past dictator, a dictator emeritus. And he made a decision that he was going to go along with the popular sentiment that we needed to take care of the Jews and we needed to implement harsh strategies against them and thus began the slavery. Now, people, can you imagine what is going on? Can you imagine in the psychology of Pharaoh what is happening? The person who gave him everything, he's going to turn on him and his people? How is that possible? How is that humanly possible?
<sighs> the new Pharaoh, the one lacking any shred of gratitude. Now, um, let's analyze this anecdotally. Anecdotally, it was actually very funny. Uh, Rev. Izzo Salanter, the founder of the Musar movement, the Muslim movement, the, the movement of ethics, uh, he said in the 19th century, we don't need to reform Judaism. We need to reform Jews. We need Jews to live up to the values of Judaism. There's nothing wrong with our principles. God forbid, it's we're not living up to them. We need to implement these great moral ideas and live them. And he just, he founded an entire movement on that principle. Okay, and he said, it was very funny, um, someone was very mean to him, and and um, his comment was, that's funny, I never did anything nice to him before. So if you notice this subtlety, it's actually very interesting. He said, someone, someone was mean to him, he said, that's funny, I don't remember ever being nice to him before, he should have said the opposite. That's funny, I don't remember ever being mean to him. And so what he was saying was he was playing on a very fascinating comment, a concept is that when we do something good for another person, the question is, does the other person recognize the good that we do for them or just the opposite? Or maybe we'll make it a little more uncomfortable for us. When someone does something nice for us, do we recognize the good that they're doing for us or do we deny it? Because as soon as we recognize the good, it's called hakarat hatov. It's called recognizing the good. That's the word, the term for gratitude in Hebrew. It's interesting. Hebrew is very pithy, very short, succinct language. But the word for gratitude is two words, hakarat hatov. It's recognizing the good. Do we recognize the good that other people do for us? That's the choice. Because if you don't recognize the good, then you're going to be what's called kafui tova. You're going to deny the good. And that is the choice that Pharaoh had. But what happens when we have hakarata tov? When we recognize the good that someone else does for us, it means that we owe them. It means we owe them. If someone does something nice to you, you owe them. Now, I run a, a, a nonprofit organization. I, I spend a good chunk of my day thanking people. I have to write a lot of thank you notes. We have the largesse and the generosity of so many, hundreds of people every year support the work that Project 615 does. And I'm indebted to them, literally indebted to them. And an email, I do my best, but really an email is not enough. It should be a personal phone call and a handwritten note. And I do the best that I can. But it's recognizing that I'm in a subservient position because someone gave something to me. And therefore, then it's my call of duty to recognize that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Jewish gratitude. And that is what the new Pharaoh could not do. As soon as he lost power, he could he, he started strong, but he folded because ultimately he could not make himself subservient to Yosef and Yosef's family because he wanted power too much. And therefore he broke himself internally not to be able to express gratitude. Now, folks, I think this is probably about the most practical and important lesson that we've probably ever spoke about, discussed on Monday Motivation. Are we going to live a life of gratitude? Which is hard, 
because we have to humble ourselves and recognize that other people give us things that we need to become subservient to a certain extent and therefore get extricate ourselves from that subservience by recognizing the good. And that's really what a thank you does. A thank you, a genuine thank you evens up the score, quote unquote, that we come back to the balance in the relationship. And that is our job as Jews to other people. And believe it or not, that is our ultimate job as Jews to Hashem, to God. We're called Yehudim. And this we've discussed many times. Yehudim comes the word lahodot, which means two things, which means to recognize and to thank. Why? Because you cannot thank anyone or anything, especially Hashem, God, if we don't recognize it first. I want to take you on a little tour, this idea of what it means to be a Yehudi, a thanker. That's what it means to be a Jew, a thanker, one who expresses gratitude. We are not afraid to to recognize that we owe the Almighty everything. And in fact, we enshrine it and we become connoisseurs of gratitude. And if you have a prayer book, you can open up to the very beginning. We begin every day with one of the most unbelievable blessings. And if any of you have any health issues, God forbid, it was a bit of a <laughs> challenging health week for the Garfinkels. That was one of the reasons I wanted to do this past this uh, topic this week. Thank God everyone is better and we're all good. One of the most unbelievable blessings we say every morning, we actually say it every time we leave the bathroom, is a blessing called Asher Yatsar, that we thank God, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, the blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the Universe. Asher Yatsar is Ha'adam B'Chachma, you created the original primordial Adam, Adam and Eve together, B'Chachma, with wisdom. You created within him openings and openings, cavities and cavities. We're talking intestines, we're talking pumps, we're talking heart, lungs, everything, all the organs. You ready for this, people? It's open and known before you. Glorious throne. If one of them would open, God forbid, one little blood vessel in the brain opens, God forbid. Oh, one would be blocked. One of those blood vessels would be blocked. Or God forbid, an artery or a vein would be blocked. That which should be open would be blocked, or that which should be closed if it would be open. It'd be impossible to stand before you. We recognize the incredible miracles that are happening daily in our lives, that our body is producing. Let's look this up. You guys know the most advanced filtration system on planet Earth is in your kidneys? You know, it's called a nephron. Just Google. Do me a favor. You want homework? Go Google a nephron. N-E-P-H-R-O-N. Do you know you have about a million nephrons? The most advanced filtration system on planet Earth. You got about a million plus in each one of your kidneys. And they have the most incredible, incredible functions they do they filter they reabsorb they secrete they basically are your filtration system for taking everything positive and using it for the body and anything that is not needed to expel it we have a million of them you look it up like these these big structures they're microscopic they're most complicated complicated structures we have over 2 million of them in our bodies. 
If we had to send them instructions, we wouldn't even know how to do it. It's all on autopilot. Who does that? Oh, science is a contradiction to God existing. Are you kidding me? Science, please. You're just describing what's happening. How in the world does this work? It just works. It hums along. And the only time it doesn't, uh, the, that we notice it when it doesn't hum along and then we start complaining. But all the millions of nephrons that are happily pumping and filtrating and working correctly, do we thank the Almighty? Do we, are we the new Pharaoh? Are we not wanting to recognize all the greatness that the Almighty does for us? God forbid, that's why we're Yehudim, we're thankers. We're those that express gratitude. We reject the new Pharaohism of the day. And we as Jews who live in this country, we must reject the absolute lack of gratitude for the safe haven that this country, America, has been for us. And if anyone wants to develop that gratitude, just take a peek at Jewish history the last 2,000 years. This comes in every aspect of our lives. And especially if we can take this powerful lesson and apply it to the people of our lives, the people with whom we work, the people with whom we live, and most of all, our families. Have we thanked them? Have we been the new Pharaoh to our most treasured people, our family? God forbid. So may this lesson inspire us to become not like the new Pharaoh, but like the old Jews, the old-time spiritual of being grateful for everything we have. God bless. Have a wonderful week. See you right back here next week for another exciting edition of Money Motivation.